right. Well, greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast. This is episode 189. And today we are going to bring you an interview that we had with Gareth James. Uh, fantastic interview, fantastic dude uh, from the MTT Poker School. Uh, but really excited to, to share that with you guys. Uh, my name is Steve Fredland. I am Rec Poker Steve on Poker Stars. And I'm reminding you that going on tilt is not mixing up your play. <laughs> How about you, Chris? Uh, yeah, I'm Chris Jones. I'm 5x5 five five on Twitter, and I saw a real human today, so that was very exciting. <laughs> in three dimensions. Yeah, in three dimensions. <laughs> John? I'm John Somsky, Poker Geek MN on Twitter and Poker Stars, and this is a, a quote that I lifted from the beginning of... Um, Poker After Dark. Poker players don't stop playing poker because they get old. They get old because they stop playing poker. Oh, <laughs> I like that. That's a fantastic segue nice. into Rob Washam. Oh, <laughs> why? Because I'm the old guy? <laughs> uh, no, because you're just playing poker. <laughs> okay. I'm Rob Washam. I'm Radman50 uh, at the Poker Stars home game. And the only thought I have, poker thought today, is don't open limp. Razor fold, for God's sakes. <laughs> awesome. Well, with, with, with that, I want to introduce you guys to Josh Schwartz. Uh, Josh is joining us uh, on the panel tonight. Josh is our newest member of the Wrecking Crew out at Wreck.Poker. And Josh, just want to say hello, man. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's great to be here. Um, Rec poker is uh, just a booming thing that I'm excited to be a part of, and I'm glad that we have a community of people that gets together and gets a chance to chat and form relationships and have a laugh. And on the side burner, we play a little poker, so it's great. It's good stuff. <laughs> right. And you are you're coming to us by way of Colorado. Yes, yes. Uh, Colorado rec poker is huge. We're, we've got a lot of leagues going on here, so. I'm very tapped into that, and uh, we do a lot of things, and so I'm eager to kind of get that into the fold and, and bring everything together. Awesome. Well, we're delighted. Uh, you've been around Rec Poker for a while now, and now that we got the Wrecking Crew, I know you jumped on that. So go out there to uh, rec.poker slash Josh Schwartz and check out his Wrecking Crew page. A lot of really good stuff out there. And uh, hey, Taylor Moss just jumped on. He must have the kids down to, down to bed. Taylor, I want to introduce yourself if you got any uh, wisdom to drop. Uh, lack of wisdom on my part, but um, <laughs> I, I think most people may have recognized the name once or twice. Um, I don't get on for the podcast all the time. I do have twin girls, so it's a little bit tougher for me. The wife was nice enough to take them for a little bit, so I could jump on here for a short, quick second. But I've uh, been doing a lot of stuff with the Rec Poker crew for a long time here. Um, but yeah, this wrecking crew thing is kind of cool. I'm kind of interested in to see how it all plays out and, uh, a lot of cool people that we're working with, smart people and, uh, good stuff going on. And, and Taylor is gopher boy TJM. Uh, and we'll hear more about his exploits in the home game later, but if you're playing our home game, uh, you've encountered him a time or two, but, uh, thanks for jumping on here, Taylor. Uh, so thanks to all of you guys. Uh, thanks to our official sponsor running aces racetrack casino and hotel, our other podcast sponsors, learn pro poker and website amp. A couple of real quick things before we dive into our, our discussion with Gareth James. Uh, as Josh mentioned, we do have an awesome fun community. We celebrate each other's 
victories. Very positive, very encouraging, helping each other learn the game. So if that sounds refreshing to you, uh, join us for free out at rec.poker. If you want to get a bit more learning and learn from some of the wizards that you'll hear from on the show, uh, get a premium membership. You can use the code RECPOKER. You get 10 bucks off your first payment. And just a quick shout out to Cade Moulton uh, from the University of Iowa. Uh, as you guys know, we had the National Collegiate Poker Tour on here a while ago. As a result of that, the University of Iowa heard the podcast. They got involved. Uh, they joined that. And then uh, Cade Moulton, uh, who en ended up winning uh, – the NCPT event on Sunday, and he is the boyfriend of Captain Walleye's daughter. So if you guys play the home game, uh, Rob adds some Captain Walleye, his daughter, uh, is is uh, the girlfriend of Cade Moulton, who won the NCPT. So congratulations uh, to Cade and the crew out there. I think that's a fun thing that keeps building, and I don't know if there's anything more recreational than uh, these college players just starting out. Uh, so with that, uh, we're going to cut into the conversation that we recorded earlier uh, with Gareth James. Well, for this conversation, uh, our panel is being joined today by the latest member of the Wrecking Crew, Josh Schwartz. Uh, the Wrecking Crew is our highest level of membership at Wrecked Poker combines all the great learning, connection, and engagement stuff uh, that you normally get uh, with the platform to increase your visibility both inside and outside the Rec Poker community. Uh, you get your own personalized URL. Uh, like rec.poker slash Josh Schwartz. Uh, you can also sell your services inside the Rec Poker store, uh, coaching, video analysis, whatever you want, and you get some cool new ways to engage with the Rec Poker community. So with that, uh, I just wanted to make sure we introduce Rec Poker Nation uh, to the latest Wrecking Crew member, Josh Schwartz. Uh, Josh, thanks for jumping in there. Hey guys, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, I'm super excited to be a part of this organization that uh, really puts the people first. Um, it's a really good thing for recreational poker players, which is exactly the demographic of folks that I deal with every day. So thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. We've gotten to know you a little bit over the last few months and we're like, man, this is a, this is a great fit. Uh, and I think you're going to be a tremendous asset to the rec poker community being active in the forums. Uh, but I also think people who take advantage of uh, your knowledge and your insight are going to benefit as well. So uh, super excited to have you and having you join on the panel today with Gareth. Yeah, thanks. All right, so with that, why don't we bring in uh, Gareth James. Uh, he was with us way back in May of 2018, which sometimes doesn't seem that long ago, but this year, for some reason, that seems like it was an eternity ago. Uh, <laughs> back then, I don't even think you had a book out or anything, but uh, Gareth, welcome back to Rec Poker. Well, thanks very much for uh, inviting me back on. I'm very excited to, uh, to, you know, to be here and, and to join the panel and see, uh, see what we can uh, discuss, talk about, and uh, dive into, I guess. Well, let's talk a little bit about who you are for the folks uh, in Rec Poker Nation that maybe aren't familiar with, with who you are. Talk a little bit about what you're involved with. I know you've been a coach for a long time. Uh, you got the website and all that, but give us an overview of who is Gareth James. Okay. Um, so I, I am a professional poker player, coach, and now author, as you, uh, I think, alluded to a few moments ago. Uh, I uh, coach privately and also have uh, group uh, coaching. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's sort of the, co the coaching side. And then I play, um, play online over here, over this side of the pond. Um, you know, we're very fortunate to have uh, lots of lots of options over here. Um, so you know, I'm whenever I whenever I start talking to to Americans about online poker, I always feel a little bit sort of guilty that I can I get to play. So you know, it's on PokerStars and and uh, and all the other sites, you know, Euro facing sites or you know, 
Canadian facing as well, I guess. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's kind of what I do when I play. Um, and then, yeah, I last year uh, launched uh, a book called Purposeful Practice for Poker with my uh, podcast co-host, Dr. Trisha Cardner. And it's all about um, sort of the modern approach to, to studying and, and obviously focused on, on studying poker. So we've got, the, we've got the panel here. You'll hear different voices chime in from time to time, but Rob Washam and Chris Jones, Jim Reed, Andrew Feist, and Josh Schwartz, we're all kind of jumping in here, excited to chat with you. And I, I guess I'd love to start with, uh, you know, you are doing a ton of different things. So you've got the personal coaching, you've got the group coaching, you've got the, uh, the MTT school uh, website, you've got the podcast, you've got the playing. I'm just kind of curious, like right now, where is most of your energy being spent? Maybe your, your time energy, but also, you know, where, where, are you, where are you finding the most joy in your poker world right now? That's a great question. I think, you know, it's obviously a very unique time for us. Like the, the prize pools online were fantastic. And for a while it was, it was great to be playing online. Um, and we just finished, uh, I guess in May, uh, finished scoop. And that was the last big series that I played. Now there have been other big series, but after that series, I was just pretty burnt out and I wanted to go ahead and, and adjust my schedule somewhat. So I actually switched to playing an off-peak schedule, um, which is you know, my girlfriend loves because now we get to spend more time together in the evening. Nice. Um, but you know, the sort of the downside is that I don't get to play in the evenings when the the guarantees, the prize pools are so much juicier. So, you know, I, I think it's worked out better. And it also means that I have, I'm pretty much doing the same thing every single day. So, you know, I, 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 uh, spoke about this on, I think, Instagram and, and to my group recently that since January, I haven't taken a day off. Um, mm. And some people might say, okay, but playing poker like that's just, that's, that's, that's not work. <laughs> but I would, uh, I would argue that it, that it is. I mean, if you play like lots of poker and yeah. you coach poker and you, you know, pretty much do all, you know, poker stuff every single day, suddenly like you realize that you need some time off and you know, there's this temptation to, to do you know, to go all out poker, but it's, uh, it's, you need, you need some, some downtime as well. So I'm just starting to try and work in one day a week when I don't do anything. Um, having said that, I mean, I still end up like doing the chores and, and go and doing the shopping and stuff <laughs> like that. But, um, but that's, you know, trying to be away from the computer a little bit, trying not, cause I mean, literally you can see, uh, if you're seeing the video, you can see this is my office and I pretty much live in here like all day, uh, creating content, playing poker, coaching, and yeah, and then I spend a little bit of time in the living room watching some TV and then that's pretty much it. And then it's sort of rinse and repeat. Um, so, you know, it's really important, I think, in, obviously in this time to make, make time for doing stuff like exercise and stuff like that. So I do, I'm not just like, I don't, I, I know I've just said that I stay here all the time, but I do get out to do exercise and get some fresh air and stuff like that. But I think it's, uh, it's kind of a common thing for online poker players to you know, to spend a lot of time inside. Uh, I guess, you know, I'm fortunate that through playing the off-peak schedule now, I might finish at five or six o'clock in the evening and I still have the evening to to go out and, you know, at the moment get to see a bit of sunshine. Although, you know, the UK is uh, somewhat <laughs> lacking in, in that, <laughs> even at this time of the year. <laughs> I'm guessing, uh, you know, you're one of these people that just seems like you just like to have a lot of stuff going on. Either yeah. that's intentional because you're diversifying your business or you just like to have your hands in a lot of different pots. Is, is there anything particular, any certain area that you're like, man, this is the part that I really, you know, I really enjoy the most right now. 
Um, well, I, I have a background in education. So I was a secondary school teacher, like a high school teacher um, in music for six years. Mm. And I spent a lot of time doing that and playing poker. And so over time, the poker became a bigger part of my life and the teaching became less. Um, but I did realize that coaching and teaching and, and helping and, and um, you know, yeah, helping people to, to improve at a game is always, it's like, it's always going to be there. Like I love, I love teaching. I love helping people. So I think that's probably where a lot of my joy comes from. Um, and also with, with coaching, there's like a very clear, um, you know, if you, if I put the effort in and my student puts the effort in, there's a clear, um, there's clear results. Whereas in poker, you can put a lot of effort in and you might not get the results on the table. But if we like look at the results off the table, like the progress you're making off the table, then it's very, it's very much easier to sort of track that progress and, and to see it. And, you know, the more work you put in, the more confident you're going to be in a lot of spots and the more confident you're going to be at the table and at the end of it. I love it. And, and guys, feel free to chime in, but because uh, these guys know that uh, I'll just keep grilling questions. I always have a million questions. But uh, one, one of the things I, I, I love talking with people like you that are, uh, you work with recreational players all the way up through, you know, the high stakes, uh, cash players who are trying to prep for a tournament like Matt Berkey and those sorts of folks. Yeah. What What are some of the characteristics that you see of people that are able to kind of, like you said, either improve, you know, off the felt or move up in the ranks or whatever? I mean, beyond the beyond the the this knowledge the skill of the game and developing okay here's here's my tactics what are the the human characteristics i guess i'm saying like what what type of people or what type of environments uh do do people flourish in and the reason i ask that is you know we're we're geared toward recreational players and we're all trying to get better and we're all trying to learn the x's and o's you know as much as we can but i think there's there's some other things going on that maybe are helping some people get to the next level and maybe are stumbling blocks for others uh, what do you see as, as some of those things that are key to uh, advancing your game? I think that's a the really great question. I think uh, I think having really clear, well-defined goals is really, really important. So knowing exactly what you want. I mean, I've I wouldn't say struggled, but I've had an, like had some sort of challenges with knowing exactly what I wanted. Um, I remember um, there's a, there's a funny story about um, you know how you can you can really want something right um so i remember saying to somebody oh you know i wanted i wanted a life where i could just you know be have free time and have enough money to do whatever i wanted um and and he said okay that's really interesting and he's um so what's um so what's stopping you from doing that and i said well i'm not sure like i just i just need to do this and i need to do this and do this and he said well what, what's your life currently like and i said well i have a lot of time and i can I have enough money to go to places i want to go to <laughs> Yeah. And at that point, I realized that, you know, I do have these uh, goals and uh, yeah, I have goals myself to, to reach the next level or to reach as, you know, to be the, the best poker player that I can possibly be. But when you strip it down, like I just wanted to get to a point where I was comfortable and I, you know, have a modest living and I, you know, have a mortgage and I can do all of the things I want to do. I mean, at the moment I can't go traveling, but you know, that will soon change. Um, and so I think making sure that you have a really clear idea of what you want and that clarity is really, really important. And I think that that's what will help a lot of players. I think that there's this sort of general idea that people play a bit of poker and then they go, oh, well, this is a game that I enjoy and I'd like to get better at it. 
But then when they realize how much work it takes to get really good, they maybe see it as a little bit of a, mm, I'm not sure I want to give that much uh, time to, to doing this. So that, that might be something as well, like determination and, and sort of managing expectations. Um, and, and also being okay. I, I mentioned it earlier on about being able to track and measure progress. Like it's in tournament poker specifically, like you can get really, really good at poker and still, you know, lose those flips key, uh, deep in a tournament right. and you don't, you know, you don't have that bink and that is pretty demoralizing. So you have to like still, you have to have that, um, great mindset to continue. So I think, yeah, mindset's important. Determination, uh, clarity is, yeah, I would say those are the few things to focus yeah, on. Yeah. I, I love that. I'm, I, do some business coaching and clarity is always the thing that I think hangs a lot of people up there. They're not really clear on what they want. And uh, there's some great videos out there that really help you kind of solve for why in a sense of what are you ultimately trying to accomplish? And that is huge. Uh, so I appreciate you calling that out. Uh, Josh, did you have something? Yeah. You know, that that's a great point on what he's talking about on the goals and then to take it one step farther then. Um, then you have to have a plan for each one of those goals. Um, a really good book that I found, it's called the one thing. Uh, the guy that uh, runs Keller Williams um, did this book and it's really just about focusing on that one thing that you want to accomplish. And then once you get there, then you go to the next thing. And so it's just all about that second piece of those goals, which is creating that plan to get to that goal. So you're just not kind of all over the place like you were, like you were talking about. Yeah, I think, yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think that almost like the process of improvement or, uh, is, is almost more important and better to focus on than the, the end point. Because sometimes when you reach a goal, it's not, it's not, it's not as good as you thought it was going to be. I think there's a famous quote, um, certainly on Twitter from Jason Kuhn, who said, you know, trust in the process because, um, you know, every single day you make improvements because when you get to your goal, it might not be quite as good because you've, you, but the, the actual process is what you've really enjoyed. So I think having the plan for improvement. Yeah. I think it's really good. I'm going to check that book out. Sounds, sounds great. Love it. Good stuff. Uh, good question, Josh. Thanks Gareth. Uh, why don't we turn it over to Chris and or Jim, I guess, whoever's going to lead us through our, our hand discussion. No, uh, th thanks for being with us, Gareth. Um, and um, um, I wanted to start before we get into the hand, I wanted to just have a quick conversation about a recent video you had on Poker News, um, which I think is something that a lot of uh, rec players sort of dabble with the idea of when do I slow play aces? How do I, you know, when do I take advantage? How do I trap with aces? Um, but I think you had a really great video about a, a real clear video about like when, when are some really good situations to take advantage of this. Um, but the one I want to really talk about was you had, and I encourage everyone to go find this video, watch it, hear the whole context. But there's uh, one particular situation I want to talk about, and that's when we're playing less than 25 big blinds effective. And um, I, I think there's some great advice about uh, how to approach slow playing aces. But my, I guess my biggest question um, to think about is now that we've taken this line of slow playing and it maybe hasn't worked out and we've reached a flop um, and, it, and, you know, we just got calls instead of raises. Um, is there any way at this stack depth that we can now get away from aces? Is, are, we, are, we play, are we slow playing them? pre-flop and we get a really bad flop like a you know a nine ten jack of spades and we got two red aces uh, uh, 
are, are we are we committed to this no matter how this how this plays out because we've taken this this sort of slow approach but we still have such a powerful hand or and then when when do we decide okay now it's time to give up uh even at this shallow stack depth with a powerful hand like aces like what are the situations in which we can fold aces having taken this passive line and being under repped um but then reaching this post flop which maybe isn't an ideal flop for aces Okay, yeah. So I guess if the hand ends up being multi-way and there's been significant action before you on that kind of board, you could definitely fold. The The great thing about having two red aces on a jack-10-9 all spade board, say, for example, is that the ace of spades is out there. Uh, and so it's possible that you can just you can continue to stack off. And also, like playing shallow stacked, uh, it's still going to be a pretty pretty strong hand. So you would need a pretty pretty good reason to to not want to stack off in that spot and it's kind of why i alluded to in the video was that you know if you do the same thing at 100 big blinds you, you're just going to get yourself into all sorts of trouble and you definitely don't want to be stacking on for two red aces on a jack 10 9 spade ball for like 200 you know a 200 big blind pot um so yeah i mean there's that's a very obviously unique flop and I guess you could make an argument for for wanting to fold, you know, against significant action. But yeah, I think the the SPR is low enough where you can just you could just get it in 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 that spot simply because you know that you know that your opponent could ha still have some draws. Um, you know, they can they can get it in with a pair plus draw as well, or um, you know, some sort of combo draw. I guess on a Jack Ten Nine board, so like Queen X with with one spade. Uh, so yeah, I, I think you can still still get it in. I mean, not loving life, of course. Right. <laughs> um, but that's part of the, uh, I guess, part of the the reason two flat aces there is to, uh, yeah, to to get it in against those kind of hands. But yeah, the the equity is going to run pretty close when you do eventually get it in. Like it's going to be pair plus draw, I guess, quite a lot. And but there's yeah, there's going to be enough money in there compared to the size of the stack to for you to be okay. I think. Uh, great. Well, I, I, thanks. Thanks for that. And I, I think we'll turn to the uh, the hand that we were going to talk about. This uh, recent hand played on ACR, um, and I think it's a, a a pretty, you know, we can talk about whether it's pretty standard hand, but I think it's a pretty standard hand until we reach uh, some of the later decisions in the hand. But um, so um, we are. Uh, blinds are 600, 1200, um, and we open in the cutoff with uh, Jack 10 offsuit. We have Jack of Hearts, 10 of Spades, and we have 61K behind. Um, and we open to 2500, so pretty much a min raise. Um, and the big blind with 118K behind calls uh, are, are open. Um, and the flop is King of Clubs, Jack of Diamonds, 6 of Spades, and our villain checks. Um, We've hit middle pair. Um, any any thoughts here on either the preflop action or, or what our, our steps are here, whether we're going to see bet this? Do you want me to go straight for it? Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, so preflop, unless there's a short stack in between the cutoff and the big blind, I'd definitely raise bigger. Uh, we're playing, what, over 50 big blinds effective? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would go to 2.5x, I think. Um, actually, maybe smaller, 2.3. Uh, that stack depth, maybe once we reach 70 or 80, we go 2.5. Um, but yeah, I would go bigger than what it was, 2, 2.1 uh, in that spot. That'd be the first yeah, the first thing. Um, and then, yeah, post-flop. Uh, I think it's... I think it's a great board for imposition, and I think it's it's the kind of board that against 
you know, against a, a very, very good player, you might have to check back Jackton off sometimes. But against someone that's not going to find enough uh, aggressive actions, like basically check raises on this board, uh, you can uh, you can just range bet uh, for a small size for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in, in real life, that's kind of what uh, this player does. Uh, we, we get a, a small bet of 2,100. Um, and uh, we uh, <laughs> you alluded to finding an aggressive player. Uh, our, our big blind check raises us to 7,000. Um, is this a spot where we can find a, uh, a fold or are we too strong? It really depends the, on the opponent um, because... It's a board where your opponent can definitely check raise pretty aggressively, and in a you know a GTO world, you're supposed to continue with with a jack. You continue with a six as well. You continue with on the queen ten, queen uh, queen ten, obviously, but like queen nine, ten nine suited stuff like that. Um, I think against a more recreational player, or I almost want to say like population, like even good regs are not finding enough check raises on this board, uh, given that. Some of the hands need to that get check raised are like some six x, uh, and then some just some really weird um, check raises as well. Um, you know, like a seven five suited with a backdoor flush draw. Like that's just not happening in in real life. So I think against population, I think you can actually bet fold. Like so, you're you're range betting because you don't expect them to check raise aggressively enough. But when they do actually check raise, you then have to still keep that idea in your head, right? And 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 then. <laughs> respond to that so then you then you would find a fold i'd be much uh happier calling here with like jack uh jack tenor clubs or jack tenor spades so that we have a backdoor flush drawer as well mm-hmm. in fact i mean i would continue with you know six x diamonds and six x of clubs with the backdoor flush drawer in in this spot so yeah i think i think population doesn't find enough bluff raises they don't they don't check raise the six x um they don't bluff raise the, the you know the random bluffs with some backdoors um but I guess on the other hand as well, they also don't check raise top pair enough. So in a, in a GTO world, top pair is supposed to be raised pretty aggressively in, in this spot. And I feel like recreational players and maybe some, some regs as well, they, they have a hand like King Jack. Uh, no, bad example. King Queen or King Ten. <laughs> and they... Uh, I just forgot the board there. <laughs> um, they... They just go, oh, you know, my opponent could have aces, could have ace-king, could have kings, it could have jacks, could have sixes. I'll just call king-queen or king-ten. But actually, those hands make pretty good check raises. Um, they, they get called by worse. And um, yeah, I, I think that, yeah, generally population is not finding those check raises. Mm-hmm. So what you're left with is some pretty strong hands, pretty strong range, uh, which might be two pair plus. Um, given that we'd expect the big blind to be three betting kings and jacks. That's literally then king jack, king six, jack six, and pocket sixes. Um, but, um, and, and then some draws, right? So queen yeah. 10 or queen 10 seems ace 10 really, with a, yeah. yeah, ace 10 with a backdoor flush draw. Um, queen nine, I guess. 10, nine seems, mm-hmm. seems reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're not happening at full frequency, right? So they're not, they're not just, you know, check raising two pair plus and then check raising queen 10, queen nine suited, 10 nine suited with a backdoor flush draw. It's, it's going to be, you know, little bits of that here and there, um, which just makes their range a lot stronger. And then, so you take out those, you know, uh, light, lighter check raises or more mergy check raises with like six X and some other bluffs. And suddenly Jack 10 is not looking too, too good on this board. So I, yeah, I, 
against population or yeah, against someone I didn't think that was uh, capable of check raising anywhere near aggressively enough. I think Jack Denoff is just a fold on the flop for the mm -hmm. check raise. Uh, so can I just jump in there? Yeah, sort of, sorry, sorry, Chris, not to break the flow, but I love this idea. I think it's a part that a lot of us recreational players lose sight of. It's that thinking, okay, um, you know, this player is this player, this population uh, tends to not check raise enough, so I'm going to continuation bet here, and then they check raise, and we forget that part of our decision was that we started thinking, oh, they probably have like queen 10 or they probably, you know, they have something like that. We, we kind of forget that. And conversely, if we think that this is a, a, you know, a solid player that's going to have a higher frequency of check raising, if we, we should know that at the time we're deciding a continuation bet, right. Or, yeah. or we should just be checking back. I think, um, you know, not to disrupt the flow of the hand, but like, mm -hmm. do you have any tips on like, how do we connect those dots? How do we get better at making sure that our, perspective is considered before we make a decision and then it's followed through the rest of the hand? That's a really good, good question. Uh, I think, I think it's just really important before you make any kind of action is to think, what am I going to do versus the check raise and have a plan for that? So you say, okay, if I bet and he check raises against this player, I'm very happy to continue. Okay. So that's what I'm going to do. The things then that you, you do have to be somewhat flexible though. So for example, sure. okay, if he check raises, I'm going to continue. So you bet and then suddenly jams. Okay. <laughs> right. So we've got to be flexible to, to bet, you know, to, or sensitive to bet size. And so we might adjust our plan, but if you say, okay, if I bet and he check raises to, you know, 3.5 X our, 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 our bet, then I'm going to continue you know, with these hands and, and, and fold other ones, but this in, in this exact spot against this player, okay, I'm going to continue or against this player, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to continue. I'm just going to be very happy to fold. So, so, yeah, so just having sticking, the plan, the plan. And, yeah. having the plan. And then conversely, how do we, how do we, uh, you know, say, okay, well, this is a player that I don't think check raises enough. Uh, and so if they do check raise, I'm probably crushed. So I'm going to fold, you know, we, we can have that plan. And then I think what happens is we, we do bet, they check raise, and then we start convincing ourselves of something else because we don't want it to be true. Uh, I mean, is that just discipline? Is it practice? Is it, you know, how do we prevent ourselves from going, well, okay, now this guy probably just has queen 10. Like, we, we went away from our plan. Like, how do we have that discipline to stick with our plan? I mean, the easiest way would just to be pretend that you, he turned over pocket sixes and, uh, and <laughs> and then that would you know you'd find it easier to to fold Jack Ten in in that spot um, because you're folding because you don't think his range is is that uh, weak right um, you think it's very strong and Jack Ten right. off is not going to play play that well so if you can yeah I mean I, I don't know the, the psychology just, behind that but we got to bring Doctor Doctor Trishna Cardner in huh we have to bring your yeah we, <laughs> to talk about that we need to yeah all right I'll, I'll let Chris get back to the hand but that's that's I think a disjoint for me sometimes and I think for other recreational players is thinking of it in advance and then sticking with it and not you know changing our mind midstream about uh, the type of player we're up against yeah yeah just just to sort of uh, I guess piggyback on that. It's similar to when you bet small on the river and get raised and then you level yourself into calling because you think that the other player has picked up on the fact you bet small. Right. And that might not be happening. So I think it's, um, yeah, I think it's like this leveling thing that goes on in your head is, is something to definitely, yeah, definitely work on. Uh, but having the plan and, and sticking to the plan is, uh, is a good, is a good plan. Um, 
Yeah, and I think it's this this hand gets really interesting as we because as we as we reach the river, I think this hand is one um, that was uh, you know that we wanted to talk about because I think there's some really interesting things that we have to go back to the beginning and this check raise moment to really think about. But as we reach the the turn, uh, we do in fact call, uh, and the turn is the eight of spades and the villain checks. So it's king of clubs, jack of diamonds, six of spades, eight of spades board. Again, we have jack of hearts, ten of spades uh and the villain has check raised us and we called and now has checked to us um this seems like a really good uh moment to check back with our position and sort of evaluate the river but do you want to advocate for any other approaches here uh, i'm kind of surprised to see a check on the turn from villain I think mm -hmm. it's a kind of spot where he should continue, even with his, his bluffs. So the, the most likely hands that he has at this point is going to be something like Queen-9 suited that isn't spades. Like Queen-9 of spades just seems like a very natural continue here on the turn. Um, so there could be an argument for um, betting small to get value from the weaker parts of your opponent's range. Um, having We have the jack of spades, right? We have the Jack of Hearts, the Ten of Spades. Okay. Um, so that changes things. So I thought we had the Jack of Spades. Okay, so the... Okay, so we could actually... Like, he can still have some Jack X of Spades hands to check raise the, the flop. Now, obviously, we just talked about how that's pretty unlikely. But given that we don't have the Jack of Spades, that's a pretty good spot for us to... Uh, to then get value from, say, Jack-9 of spades, Jack-7, Jack-5, stuff like that. But I just don't see that being check-raised in the first place. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think that, let's say we had Ace-Jack of hearts, it could be a better spot to go for, uh, go for a bet on the turn because there are more hands that we could potentially get uh, value from. Um, you know, if, if there was a lightish check-raise from like a jack x hand uh, and obviously jack x of spades then we could get you know more value from that um but i do think yeah it's a good spot to to probably just just go ahead and check back especially given that we we don't think well i mean i don't think i don't know what you guys think but i don't think that the big blinds check raising aggressively enough in the first place okay um and so we do check back and then um the river is the 10 of diamonds so uh and i think this is the part where um our our hero uh was you know i think confused so the villain checks the pot is 21k we have you know probably i think we've got um 40 some uh, 45k behind um we've been checked to twice now we have two pair but our villain has check raised us so what do we go i mean do we go for value how big of a bet do we go for in terms of value is this a bet spot to go for a small value and then fold to major aggression is it a, a spot to take you know a bigger bet and then fold to that aggression is it a spot to just check back and and you hope our two pair is good um I'll t do you want to know what our hero did in actuality and we can talk about it, or do you want to talk about it before we talk about what the hero actually did? Uh, yeah, that was, what did he, what did hero do? So hero into the pot of 21 K bet 18 K. So almost a pot size bet with their uh, Jack 10, but was wondering 
if this is a a, a mistake um and in in this case our villain folds but um was wondering if this is bo- both a sizing or even just a betting mistake um given this board okay yeah i th- i think it's really tough to know i mean i'm slightly confused by the check on the turn from villain and then another check on the on the river to know exactly what we would get value from so you know against you know in a in a gto world or at equilibrium we could get some king x hands to call right um but i'm a little bit confused as to why those king x hands either wouldn't bet turn or at least bet river so i'm really struggling to to know what we actually get value from now going back to what we said earlier about betting small and leveling ourselves to call a check raise um i think it's a common mistake that the in-position player, you know, thinking, okay, we can bet small here. We can, you know, get a crying call from a hand like Queen-10, 10, uh, 10 9 something like that, um, is that in theory, we're not supposed to be bet- betting small in position because if the bet's not, um, you know, if your hand isn't, I'm trying to word this correctly, if you can't value bet your hand for roughly, let's say, half, uh, 50% pot, half pot, then you have the option to check back. So, you know, it doesn't make sense with, with hands that you feel like you can only get value from if you bet really small to actually bet. Like, you can just check back. Now, obviously, as an exploit, if you feel like your opponent is going to, you know, very happily call with Queen-10 or 10-9 on this river, then you, you can bet small. Like, you know, you throw the theory out the window. You don't need to try and play like Pio or anything. Right. Um, but I think that the, uh, yeah, I think... But then you have this issue of betting small and then getting check raised. And then you th- you level yourself into into wanting to make a call, and I think generally when you get check raised on this line, basically when the line doesn't make sense, it's the nuts. <laughs> That's how uh, how I see it. So like if it's um, yeah if it's a really bizarre line, I guess it could have been a hand like I don't know Ace Queen or uh, you know uh, Queen Nine would would make sense. I think uh, if I've got the board right. Uh, so. Yeah, I think that. I guess the other thing is that if you bet a little bit big, let's say you bet two thirds pot on the river, which I think is a pretty nice size here, like you might get looked up by Queen 10 or 10 9 sometimes. Um, I mean, from his point of view, like, what are you bluffing? Like, all of your hands really get there. They improved a two pair or a straight, and there aren't many bluffs. Like, you'd have to start turning hands like 10 9 into a bluff or something for him to want to call with Queen 10, but he might not even, like, you know, we've gone back and forth between thinking that he's thinking about what our range looks like to, you know, we go back to the flop. We don't think that he's check raising aggressively enough. So we can't, yeah, there's a disconnect there as um, Steve, you talked about earlier. So we have to make sure that we keep that consistent. Um, But I think, you know, you can bet say 50% pot, two thirds pot, look to get some sort of crying call from a king that got a bit scared on the, on the turn on the river, didn't want to put any more money in, or maybe a hand like queen 10, 10, nine, uh, something, yeah, something like that. But then the bigger you bet, the more expensive it is for him to to raise. And I think it's really unlikely that he is then going to turn a hand like Queen Ten or Ten Nine into a bluff raise on the river. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no. That, I mean, I think I, you know, it's a it's an interesting spot too. And I think I think it's one where because we're we're also starting as a as a rec uh, poker community, we're starting to talk about. Um, finding value, getting value, finding value spots, thin value. Like how do you actually make these decisions when, when you're in these spots where you don't have 
you know, there's, there's a hand where you're feeling a little bit like you're on sort of ice here, but uh, it's still a spot where maybe you have to go for some value. Um, and so, yeah, I kind of, I, I kind of like the decision here. Um, maybe not the bet sizing, but I, I like the decision to, to try to at least, uh, especially with those two checks from the villain, um, which do feel, it feels odd to check raise and then and then check through to the river um feels like a pretty weak line like somebody who took a shot um with something and just gave up um but yeah no but i think thanks for your thoughts any other thoughts from the the panel or gareth on, on this hand josh yeah so really after looking at all of the action and and kind of how this unfolded and, and eliminating a lot of the combos from uh, the villain's range here. The only thing I'm really afraid of on this check check is a 10, 10. And it's very unlikely that he has that. Cause we're obviously, you know, we're holding that blocker. Um, and so uh, like Gareth said, it's really, really hard to look at his range on this action and find where we're going to get any value. Um, and, but on the flip side, we don't want to expose ourselves to getting to this position on the river and, and not betting here. So, um, that's, that's my conflict is how do we keep our balanced range in a, in a situation like this, which is very weird, very strange situation. Um, how do we not open ourselves up to, um, say, a situation where let's let's put ourselves out of position in the same hand, right? So let's say we're the one that that check checks, um, and we actually hit the set of tens, and the guy jams on us, right? So, so looking at that type of a situation, how do we keep ourselves from um, being exploitable um, in this position on the river without making a bet? Mm-hmm. Uh. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. I, I mean, the obvious the obvious answer is to say you can't be exploited if you check in this one hand example, right? One sample. Um, but if your opponents notice that you check back a hand as strong as two pair on a board that's not overly scary, like obviously if it's a ten of spades instead, um, we had the ten of spades, so it wasn't going to happen. But if you yeah, know ten of spades instead, then I actually you know against this line, I think it's a better. Uh, better check back, honestly. Uh, I think if the yeah the board gets more scary, then we can definitely go for a go for a check back. So going back to what I was saying about you know if we, if they see us not bet two pair, then I mean that might mean in the future we get to bluff more frequently because we uh, you know if we're not betting two two pair, then we're probably betting something a little bit stronger like a straight or a set in this example. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think we. I don't think we should be too worried about getting exploited in in this spot. I think we can still get value from some some hands, even though it's you know we. I think we all agree that it's a bit of a bizarre line from uh, from the villain, um, and also we can very comfortably have some very strong hands. We we can have uh, we can have queen nine and we can have ace queen on this river, and plus you know some other hands. I was thinking that. We, I'm not sure we would land on the river with pocket tens if we overfold the flop, given that we don't think the big blind's check raising enough. Uh, so that's that's something to to think about. That you can think, okay, we well, yeah, we're, 
because and then it kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier steve about disconnect it's like we get to this river and we piece the piece of the puzzles uh the puzzle together but then we're like okay but we could have tens and we could have this and we could have this side but actually we don't because we fold tens on the flop and so then our value region on this river gets narrower and so we have just some two pairs and some straights but um you know are we really checking back a set on the turn like jacks or kings? We're probably betting jacks. Um, and we could check back kings. I think that's a reasonable uh, check back. Um, just blocking his most obvious valley check raises, which is you know king jack, king six, but also some king queen or king tens if he ever finds those. Um, but yeah, it's just so we don't... Yeah, we've, we have very few sets on, on the river and we just we now have two pair and, and straights. Um, I was trying to still trying to think yeah, about what our bluffs would look like. Yeah, that's what I was gonna. This, I was gonna uh, say like uh, if I if I'm the if I'm the opponent, I'm just like the only value hands are queen nine and ace queen. I, I think mm. that's the only thing that makes sense. But yeah, what are the bluffs? What I don't know is there either. Uh, Rob, did you have something to throw in there? Well, it just to me that bet on the river was almost like turning two pair into a bluff because what are you gonna get called by? Uh, that that bet size was way too big for the situation. I think you need to bet something uh, less than half pot to try to get value from those hands. Like uh, you know, Gareth was talking about the queen ten, the those types of hands. They're not going to call um, a bet that size. So it was like the my first reaction was, "Wow, we just turned two pair into a bluff." <laughs> Why? I don't get it. So one other question, Chris, what, what type of tournament was this on ACR? Uh, this was, uh, I'm trying to remember, um, cause this was sent to me. Um, so I think this was a $15 ACR tournament. It was either a 15 or a six. So it's, it's a low stakes right. uh, okay. online tournament. Uh, so you can clearly have some opponents who would be, you know, capable of maybe losing their mind with a King who called from the big blind. You know, yeah. I, I think that that's maybe what our hero is thinking, you know, that, that you've got, you've got somebody with, king seven or kings you know whatever not king six king five just somebody who defended loose with a king in the big blind and is hoping to find a call there i think is what's going on here okay i think it's pretty reasonable for a hand like king x of spades to play like this actually so to check raise flop because you know they know that they should be check raising some king x in this spot um and then they improve to a top pair plus a flush draw, but then just go for a check. They just want to try and keep the pot small now because we, a lot of the time we've, we've obviously been focusing on what we should do as an exploit or as a response to their slightly tighter check raise range. But then they should be doing almost the same thing. I mean, we don't know that they are, but they, you know, as soon as they check raise, they know that our range is getting somewhat stronger. You know, if we're going to bet small on this board, with a lot of our range, then a decent chunk of it has to fold versus a check raise, especially if it's you know a, a tight player or not someone that's not finding enough uh, check raises here. So, um, yeah, what ends up happening is they then think, actually, my hand is I'm not sure if it's strong enough to value bet now on the turn. So what I'll do is I'll go for a check call instead, and then that then the bet didn't come in on the turn. So, um, but that's you know we talked about this earlier how it's slightly confusing for a king not to want to bet on the 
on the river. But I, I yeah, I, I can see some some weaker King X of Spades hands, you know, now on the river, just think, okay, I'll go for a check. If I, you know, if it checks back, I win. If um, if he bets, then I can call. Uh, so yeah, I, I still think we can get some some value, but it's you know we're kind of clutching at straws a little bit, I guess. We're uh, we're, we're searching or reaching for, for for some hands we get we get value from. Yeah, the question always is, like you said before, is is it enough? Is it enough frequency that we're getting value to make it worth it? And that's the tricky part. Like like Chris said, as a, as a community, we're, we're, we're talking about bluffing and now we're talking about value betting. And it seems like one of the things that differentiates the best players is they're able to get value in these sort of the, what seems like marginal spots. And so we're trying to figure out how to do that. So I think that's probably the impetus for the, for the hand. Chris? And just to add to that, what I really liked about what both Rob and Gareth talked about with this hand is that if if we think we're trying to target a, say, king seven or king five of spades, like that river bet needs mm-hmm. to be smaller. We need to we need to make a king, a, a weak king feel like, yeah. uh, I just have to call yep. this. <laughs> right. um, and, and, and I, you know, with a mo- almost pot size bet, uh, we're, we're definitely scaring away those hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well, go ahead, Gareth. Oh, so I was just going to say, so it goes back to what I was saying earlier about like as an exploit, you could definitely bet small here. And I think Rob definitely, you know, advocates for, for betting small to get called by, you know, the queen 10 and the 10 nines, but also those king X hands as well. If you never fear that you're going to get check raised and you're never going to level yourself into calling the, the, the check raise, then by all means, yeah, go, go for a smaller, smaller bet. Now, just really quickly, there's something I want to talk about on bet sizes. Thin value betting on the river is not necessarily for a small size. It's just about the sort of the narrower, um, sort of the weaker part of your range that you still get value from. I think it's almost some, you know, sometimes a bit, uh, maybe a common mistake that thin value means betting small. And so you can, you can bet bigger in this spot, but thinner for value. So maybe Jack 10 is pretty thin for value. Like I can see what Rob's saying that it's like, it is fairly thin because we're struggling to find hands that we actually get value from. Um, so yeah, I think we can, we can go for a, for a smaller bet. What I was also going to say was that, you know, let's say that we have a bet size, one end of the, the scale or spectrum is that we min bet for one big blind. The other side is the other end is that we jam. And if we jam, he's pretty much going to fold everything like he never calls with anything that we um, that we beat, but if we min bet, he calls with loads of hands that we beat. So somewhere in the middle is this optimum size that we could choose, and it is going to be probably on the smaller side. Um, I mean, I would always you know try to to listen to the theory somewhat, as in you know don't bet too small because then you do open yourself up, and then you think yeah I keep on saying this, but you do level yourself into then ah he could just be you know pouncing on this bet that you know he read in a book that you shouldn't be bet small in position like why did he bet small <laughs> oh he's probably just going for some thin value or I'm going to check raise oh I'm now so now I'm going to counter that I'm going to call with my jack ten oh he's got ace queen okay nice hand um yeah so <laughs> can you just give us the simple answer Gareth we actually have to <laughs> think about this <laughs> yeah Oh, that's that's uh, great. It's it's great stuff. I, I want to honor your time. If you have something else to add, that that's that's cool. But I want to make sure we honor your time. 
Oh no, it's fine. I'm happy to uh, to, to, right. to talk. <laughs> it's great. Well, well one of the things I, I love is... about one of the things I love about what Rob shared too is if for folks that have been listening to the podcast for a while, we've had some great conversations uh, with with Rob about bet sizing, and he's more of a proponent of the bigger sizing, you know, on the flop and some of those things. We've had some great discussion. But what I love about this is it it leads to the the genius of Rob Washam. Uh, you know, where where it's really about you know it's about the situation. It's not just about should I bet big or should I bet small. It's sort of what what we're saying here is what are you trying to accomplish you know and and i love that you know the men the men bet yeah let's get let's get value but then if it opens up raises well then that's not good so you want to make it enough of a size so that it hurts them to check raise you bluffing but you don't want to bet so much that you don't get the value from the king x so uh, i i love that that it's not that's why it's not it's a beautiful game right it's why it's not just cut and dry of here's what you should always bet in every situation no, I love that. And I, I really like that you use the, the the question there. What are you trying to accomplish? I always use that in, in lessons. Like, what are you trying to achieve with your bet? And a lot of the time, suddenly peop, um, players will go, uh, <laughs> right. I, I, uh, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> right, for sure. <laughs> like, okay, so you can't, if you can't answer that question, don't, you know, don't do it in the first place. Um, so if you can, you know, hmm. yeah, I can list out some some reasons for choosing a particular bet size, you know, if you say I'm betting, uh, let's say you were bluffing in this spot. I mean, we've already said that it's pretty tough for us to find bluffs. We, we end up having to turn made hands into bluffs. Like maybe we have six, five with a backdoor first draw that we then have to try and bluff with. Right. Um, but then you, you know, you'd ask, you say, okay, what are you trying to achieve with a, with a bluff here? Okay. I'm trying to get this portion of hands to fold. Okay. So what bet size is going to get those, those hands to fold and you know, those are the, those are the few questions to, to ask yourself on, on every, uh, on every street. Uh, I think it's uh, really important. The thing I was going to say that is, I'm not sure if he has ace queen. I think more recreational players will will flat ace queen there. I think 50 bigs effective, maybe the big blind three bets ace queen at a pretty high frequency versus the cutoff. Um, but yeah, we shouldn't we shouldn't discount it um, because some players absolutely will have ace queen. So some of that, since you're allowing us to have a little more time, um, we'll take another five minutes or so. But uh, I'm curious just your thought process or how you teach this, especially to recreational players, right? So those of us who aren't, this isn't our full-time job. We're not spending 40, 50, 60 hours plus a week, you know, able to study this thing. But I loved your idea of saying, okay, between this bet, the, the, the single big blind and between this bet, the all and shove, there's sort of this optimal thing, right? And I, I'm a math guy, so I kind of like the idea of optimization. But, um, you know, how do you find those sweet spots or how should we be thinking about that? I mean, are you actually going through some sort of combinatorics, mathematics at the, at the table? Is this just now it's become sort of a gut feel that you just know in that spot? I'm kind of a, you know, it's a half pot size bet. Like, how do we start to get the knowledge to be able to know what that optimal bet sizing is and then be able to make that so it becomes second nature at the table? Uh, I think a lot of it is experience. And I think a lot of it is being able to, the, the sort of the skill of visualizing what both ranges look like on any given street, having any given juncture in a hand. Um, I often get the sort of... Um, I don't know what the word is like uh, feedback from, you know, I use um, solvers in a lot of the content that I make and a lot of the sort of the pushback on it, I guess that's the, the word I was looking for is that why, why are we using solvers? Like, you know, we're playing low and mid stakes MTTs. Why are we using solvers? Um, you know, we're not playing against a bot. We're not playing against Pio. So let's, you know, doesn't make sense. But the great thing for that using a solver does, obviously it tells us like 
what the strategy looks like you know in an optimum universe if everyone's playing perfectly but it also forces you to visualize what ranges look like and you know it's sort of like a, a funnel system right so each on each street based on each action there there are fewer and fewer hands going through this funnel and it then gives you an opportunity to get better at hand reading so you know you can you can definitely push back on it and say like we shouldn't be playing you know gto in a low stakes tournament like for sure um but by using the software it almost forces you to then say okay this is what his range looks like on the you know flop tonal river and then you can say okay is this realistic for how this player is playing or for their population and and then make base a decision on that and um yeah so through experience but like you know just analyzing hands and you can do the same exercise in things like equilab like if you didn't want to invest in pio or any other solver like you can do it in equilab and just sort of visualize um i think they have a function where you can take ranges to the next street and so you can just keep on narrowing down this range and then you say okay i think the on the river this guy's range looks like this and this is where i was talking earlier about you know some players make the mistake of adding some hands in oh yeah he can definitely have like a you know something on this river that he definitely couldn't have done and um then you could go back to the flop and think, okay, does he definitely have this hand? Does he not? And, and just make sure that you have his range sort of nailed down. And this is, you know, this is practice that you can do like with the free software, with the free, free Equilab, um, free version of Equilab and, you know, just start to sort of visualize ranges. And I think, I think that's what a lot of the best players in, in the world do. They, they're able to visualize the, the range that, you know, for how it's supposed to look in like a, a equilibrium or in a GTO world, and then adjust it for the player they're playing against or, or population. Love it. Josh? So the million dollar question is, so we've kind of established that you've determined that you should make a thin value bet here on this hand. So the million dollar question to put you on the spot is what is your bet <laughs> on this hand? How, how much I would bet on the end? Yes. Okay. Um, I think anywhere between half pot and two thirds is... That's fine. I might err on the side of two thirds because weaker players just love a call <laughs> and they might just find a call with, you know, the hands we, we talked about. Um, and we can just eke out a little bit more EV, uh, more value on that. Um, so I think, yeah, going for two thirds would, yeah, I think I'd be happy with that. So WWGD, what would Gareth do? <laughs> that, that is how I'm moving forward with my poker career. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> so, so let's, well, we're going to wrap up here pretty quick. It might have to be a two-parter. This is just such good stuff. Uh, but there was one question from one of the folks that's listening in uh, on one of our membership a group that's not on the panel here. Uh, Eric Jin says, uh, let's see, did Gareth compose the intro music to his Poker on the Mind podcast? It's a good question. As a as a songwriter and composer, it would have been good to say that I did, but unfortunately <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> I got it from a, 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 you know, one of those websites where you can uh, purchase, uh, purchase music for, for use in podcasts. Well, good stuff. Any, any last questions from the panel? Obviously we could check, chat with uh, Gareth all day, but uh, great hand, great questions uh, from everybody. Anybody else have anything else to throw in there? I just wanted to say uh, I've been listening to the Poker on the Mind podcast. Uh, I think you and Trisha do a great job of uh, counterpoint against each other. 
you know, she's got the psycholo- psychology, the mindset, that sort of thing. You're using that in your day-to-day stuff, but then you also bring in that uh, poker strategy and analysis. And I think together it really makes a fantastic podcast and I love listening to it. Oh, I appreciate that. It's, um, that's really good feedback. I think, uh, I think I'm becoming less of a mental game fish and, and, um, Maybe I shouldn't say it, but Trish is becoming less of a poker fish. So it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's works. It's a good, uh, it's a good combo. <laughs> Can you edit that bit out? <laughs> no, 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 for sure. I'm going to, in fact, we'll have to take Trisha. Let's see. What's the timestamp on this one? <laughs> no, for sure. Well, I, you know, I've, I've enjoyed you guys' podcast and we had both of you guys on a few years ago as we were just kind of getting rolling on this thing. And uh, you're, you've been a great contributor to the poker community. Uh, you know, our, our folks really connect with the stuff that you're you're doing because it, it puts it into a way that people can understand. Even though we, you say things like you know PO solver and all these things, like at the end of the day, uh, you know, you guys are thinking about the the game and the principle level, and I think that's what we really need to do and keep encouraging uh, all of Rec Poker Nation to do that. So thank you for for all of that. Uh, as we wrap up, uh, let's, let's talk about how people can find you. Uh, you know, where's the book? Where's the website? Tell us about your screen name that you use. Uh, you know, what's, what's up? <laughs> uh, okay. So the book is called Purposeful Practice for Poker. It's available from Amazon. So whatever the addresses for Amazon in your <laughs> country, amazon.com.co.uk, whatever. Um, uh, you can also get it for the DMB website. Um, so, and it's available in paperback, uh, ebook, and audiobook as well. Uh, Trisha recorded the audio, um, but there is a little bit of me recording. Uh, basically, in the uh, acknowledgments, she didn't want me to. Uh, she didn't want to read herself thanking herself basically. <laughs> so I had to record that. Um, but yeah, she recorded it in the, in the States. So, uh, that, yeah, the audiobook's available. Uh, my website is mttpokerschool.com. Uh, so if you're interested in uh, any private coaching or group coaching, then that's the place, uh, to go. I am, it's, it's pretty good time actually, because I'm just relaunching, uh, or reopening enrollment, I guess, for group coaching. Um, so I've had a group with, uh, wor- I've been working with a group since October, uh, producing lots of, uh, tournament poker content with them. And I'm just going to reopen enrollment for that and just grow the group now. So, uh, that's available from, uh, classroom.mttpokerschool.com forward slash game changer. Um, so yeah, if you're interested in, I guess, in, in, in group coaching, um, then that's the, that's the place to go. And I guess, you know, if you love free stuff, then go over to youtube.com forward slash MTT poker school for, um, I don't know how many videos I have on there, but lots of tournament poker strategy videos. All right. Well, well, man, thanks for, thanks for the, uh, the time with us today. Fantastic stuff. I really encourage you guys go check out Gareth's stuff, the free stuff, the group coaching, all of it. Uh, you know, great guy, great, uh, great demeanor. I think we can learn a lot from him. So I really encourage people to check it out. Uh, we do have a relationship with DMB publishing. So if you want to use our link to, to go get his book, that's fine. Otherwise just get it on amazon.com or whatever. Uh, I do want to give a quick shout out to Jim Reed. I know he's, he's been on this thing the whole time and uh, his internet connection is bad, but he's, he helped set this whole thing up with Gareth. Gareth. So uh, thanks to Jim. Uh, but Gareth, again, thanks for your time and we'll be in touch. And uh, we hopefully it's not another two years before we have you on here. Yeah, I'd love to come back on whenever you guys uh, want to have me. And it's been, yeah, it's been great fun. So thank you very much. All right. Take care, Gareth. And you. Cheers, guys.
Bye-bye. All right. Well, great stuff there from Gareth James. That was a phenomenal discussion. I know we could have gone on for hours, and he was very gracious with his time there. So let's jump into what's going on around Rec Poker Nation. And as always, we'll start with the great one, John Somsky. All right. Well, our uh, monthly home games next month, they're going to be on August 5th for Noldum and Hold'em and August 12th. For our mixed games, we're going to be playing Pot Limit Omaha 8. That is known by some as the Devil's Game. It is uh, <laughs> because it's a split pot game and yet played Pot Limit, which makes it uh, dangerous to say the least. There is a video available on our site, so you can take a look at that to learn the rules. But if you've played uh, Omaha 8 or better before, it's the same thing, just Pot Limit instead of Limit. And then for our Rec Poker Nightly Series, July 20th, we had Spot Conlon. Daniel Kennedy won his second nightly series victory. July 21st was Money Morton Mortis. Frank Pisklevich won his first nightly series victory. July 22nd was Graphics 16. Roger Shute winning an impressive fifth nightly series mm-hmm. victory. And then on July 23rd, none other than our very own Gopher Board Boy, TJM, Taylor Moss, winning his very first nightly series victory. And (laughs) this kind of surprised me because he's had a few wins, but just never in the nightly series. Well, he won the 2019. What do you win? You won two of them in 19, right? Or what what were the two wins Uh, you have? uh, The 2019 inaugural uh, Rec Poker Player of the Year. (laughs) That's true. Uh, That's true. So won the very first uh, tournament that we did, the monthly tournament. Uh, Then I also won a mixed game tournament i believe it was the five card draw and okay. yeah finally got the first nightly series win nice excellent and july 24th bloop seven mark bloomberg got his first nightly series victory on july 25th gloves 1010 got colin anderson got his third nightly series victory and then we hear again on July 26th on. from Gopher Boy TJM Taylor Moss winning his second nightly series victory. Now, you do realize you only need to win once to get <laughs> into the Tournament of Champions. So this second one is really yeah. wasted. I wanted to go spots. on a crazy streak because um, I wasn't able to play the 25th, but I played the 24th when Bloop 7 won. Uh, I took second place in that. Um, Unreal. So had a, a crazy run of first, second, first going for me. Uh, just just sun running, I guess. Sun, yeah, or yeah. <laughs> Probably a little bit of positive variance, but pretty solid play in there, in there as well. But I think it's it's a good strategy to block spots, right? The more you win in a month, the right. fewer people that you have uh, in your way to get the silver pin. <laughs> Genius. <laughs> and I still have Brilliant. a bone to pick with you. I'm still, I still got a dollar out there for anybody who slow rolls Taylor Moss. I tried, I tried, but then we just pushed. <laughs> oh, funny! It's well, too good hard stuff, to do. John. Anything else, John? Otherwise, great stuff. Nope, that's it. All right, Robert, what do you have to say? Well, we got our poker study book study going on. Um, at Matros, the game plan. We're going to recommence on August fifth at 6.30. That'll be Wednesday at 6.30. We're going to be going through chapters, or I guess it's rules. We're going to be going through rules 8 through 11. A lot of uh, not your normal stuff. You're going, we're going to be talking about 
scent mining and squeezes and the off the different things like that, the four bedding all in type activities. So it's not going to be your just your normal, you know, pre-flop ranges. It's going to be a lot of interesting discussion. And I'm sure there will be some rabbit holes gone down <laughs> while we go through that. I just want to remind everybody that these are available on our website. Um, we record these. We also have some handouts that we um, put together. I know Jack's done a great job of putting together the ranges on some uh, spreadsheets, showing uh, how it all how it, how they all play out on a spreadsheet. We also have some uh, thirteen by thirteen grids of all the ranges on there, so that you can look at that and see kind of what we what we talked about and some of the concepts, uh, the key concepts that we talked about so far in that book study. So I'm looking forward to the one coming up on August 5th. It should be, it should be really a fun one because again, we're not talking about that boring old stuff. What do you do with your range <laughs> pre-flop? We're going to be talking about squeezes. We're going to be talking about set mining, how all that stuff works. It should be a gas. So if anybody shows up, you will give them a free squeeze. Is that what I'm hearing? Uh, yeah, a it'll be a virtual, <laughs> a virtual squeeze, squeeze. <laughs> because you know it was social distancing and everything. I can't, I can't right. actually squeeze anybody. <laughs> right, so you can have you're gonna be holding a sign, free squeezes. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good stuff. I mean, I know you guys do a great job out there at the book study. If you're a member, check that out. And and like everything we do at Rec Poker, it seems like you guys are just having a blast doing it as well. So uh, it's pretty cool, and, and seeing some of the members engage and really. The stuff Jack's putting out there is super great as far as a great supplement for, for the study. All right. Well, I know Andrew is, uh, he's out camping this week, so we're going to pass on him, but he's, he's the guy that leads our learning with partners. Phenomenal job of pulling together all the stuff from the different folks who have given us access to their premium content that we then share with uh, our premium members. So great, great job to Andrew. How about you, Chris? Yeah, I mean, in, in membership land, uh, we're closing up the month of July all about bluffing, and we're just getting ready to record our August member seminar on thick and thin value, finding, uh, you know, some extra value, making sure we take advantage of value spots, how do we play them when we get, when we uh, smash flops, those kinds of questions um, will be all the kinds of things we cover in that seminar. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I think this is an area where uh, a lot of players, you know, it, it seems uh, bluffing might seem more tantalizing, three betting might seem sort of more sexy, but this is some of the stuff that I think a lot of players miss out on um i think uh especially some 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 players you know there there's opportunities lost for value and they're they're sort of the unseen sort of opportunities as well so i think this will be a really good really good subject to talk about love it man it's gonna be fantastic and i know uh i don't know if you want to talk about this at all as we segue to taylor but i know uh taylor did a did a little bit of a session with you and then uh immediately after that you went on a nice little run yeah, no, I had a guy, I mean, I, you know, I'll let Taylor talk about uh, the conversation we had, which was uh, really great and helpful. He pointed out some things that were showing up uh, in the way I was playing. I had, I sent him all, all the hands I had played basically in June and, um, and I had a, a Saturday, I played five ACR tournaments. I cashed in four of them. I binked one of them. I went deep in another. Um, it was, it was a good, it was a good poker day. <laughs> it was a good yeah. poker day. If, you, if you're just listening to the podcast, you're not watching the video, he's got this little grin on his face that we've all had when, <laughs> when things have gone well. So uh, way to go, Chris. Yeah, Taylor, tell us yeah. a little bit about what's going on there. Yeah, so 
uh, you've probably heard about the the wrecking crew and stuff that we're doing now um but as a, a sample for some of like the coaching offers that we have through there um i got chris to sit down with me kind of talk about his database of hands and we just went over some things um didn't go too deep into detail uh but just found some things right away just you know picked out probably like three key items and said hey chris you know here's the areas where i'm noticing and the biggest area of improvement for yourself um so we did that session we actually created a nice little uh sample video if you're interested in watching that to kind of see how we went over that um even if you're not interested in coaching it's really interesting to see the things that like we're talking about we're pointing out and we're going we're going big picture um saying here's how often you should be doing certain things and stuff like that so uh, it was a really good conversation and um i'm glad we have the great story of chris uh going on a great run right afterwards um i mean i'll even incorporate that like uh i did some studying myself to prep for the session i did with chris and also did some studying and prep of this value discussion that we're about to have uh, and then i went on the home game run so uh a little little bit of studying can go a long way now, now, I know I don't want to be a big spoiler alert, but is there, you know, people might be listening going, okay, database, hands, I send to somebody and they somehow help me. Like, can you give just a, a real quick, like, flavor of, like, what, either something you found with Chris or just generally what could be found in somebody's game through just looking at data? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so one of the big things that uh, if you watch the sample video we went through with Chris, but we just noticed some stats and we were looking, you know, where does the, the trend seem different? And notice that when he gets into middle position and someone three bets him, he has uh, an attachment issue to his cards. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't want to believe his opponent and he doesn't want to fold the three bets. Uh, so he kind of dug into some of those pieces and it was like, That's so hey, great. Especially what, what are we doing like here? Sexy like Jack Ten of Diamonds or something like that. I'm like, yeah, come on, I got a C three <laughs> here, but uh, it was really costing me some some chips. Yeah, so I mean, the thing like Chris is a great player, and like yeah. we started off the session, it was like, hey, your win rate is doing great, but when you enter in these spots where he's, you know even EV or slightly negative EV, it's really like tearing him down because his normal is winning. Like he's not a normal breaking even and the break even spots are, you know, normal to him. He needs, he needs to be in winning spots. So ah, got to keep so pushing good. himself to, to do better. Yeah. So you guys, if you're out there listening, I mean, this sounds pretty cool. Go check it out, man. Go, go look at the wrecking crew. Go look at the different people that are offering different things. Look at that sample video. A lot of really cool stuff. And it sounds like that was a fairly quick conversation and we can't guarantee that you're going to cash 80% of your tournaments and being 20% right after doing, right after doing a session, but you are going to become a better player. And I think, you know, we, we talk about community, 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 that is what we do, but we're a poker learning community. Uh, at the end of the day, this is what we have in common is we're all trying to get better at poker. So uh, there's some great tools that we've got out there, including uh, access to Taylor Moss uh, to take advantage of. And, and one of the other folks that you have an opportunity to take advantage of is Josh Schwartz. Uh, you met him in the open. Um, Josh, you got anything you want to share with the nation? I do. Welcome, Rec Poker Nation. Thanks for having me. A lot of things in my world to talk about. I'm going to make it really brief. Uh, first off, I'm going to say congrats to Taylor. Great run. Uh, this is a great story. This is exactly what we're trying to accomplish here um, with all of us getting together and, and just getting better. Um, I have a similar story. I just started coaching uh, with 
Team Rocket Box. Uh, you met Woody last uh, last time we got together, and uh, right after our first coaching session, I binked a 350-person MTT on the BPO Sweet. TOC qualifier. And then my next two tournaments were top 10%. So, um, so it works. It's, it works if you work it, keep coming back. (laughs) So, um, it's all good stuff. Um, but in my world, a lot of things going on, you see everything behind me. These are the things that I'm involved in Uh, a couple of great groups, um, here in Colorado over the top poker.com, uh, check them out. They have uh, some great tournaments here locally. If you're in Colorado, uh, they're also doing some online stuff. They're a part of the BPO organization, which is a, a big, big, uh, organization in the rec poker. Uh, they do a lot of great national tournaments, so that's good stuff there. Um, FPN freepokernetwork.com is also something I'm involved in. Uh, that's one of my personal leagues here, FPN Colorado. Uh, once we go live, we'll be in the bars and doing our thing in bar poker world. Right now we are on NLOP.com, uh, running, uh, online tournaments nightly at playfpn.online. A couple of new things. It's just fantastic. I didn't know I was going to be able to mention this tonight. Um, So nrgpoker.com, we're getting ready to launch this now, like in the next couple of weeks, brand new membership site. Uh, We're going to have free roll satellites and other tournaments and things going on. We're going to have trips to Vegas. We're going to have cash prizes. We're going to have all kinds of awesome things going on. Check out that website. It's up and running right now. You can check it out, play some free rolls and just see how the software works. Here in a couple of weeks, we'll make an announcement on when we're live for memberships and and uh, let you know when the leagues are, are happening. So awesome stuff there. Um, the other thing I want to share uh, over my over this shoulder, I don't know what's left and right to you guys. <laughs> Most uh, of our folks are audio <laughs> only, so they have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, real cards poker. This is something that is is innovative and new. So we're all in the uh, RNG poker world. We're online. We're playing these RNG platforms. Real cards poker is a fantastic thing. Uh, we're able to play on our phones and on our computers and our mobile devices. And we have machines right here in Colorado that are dealing real cards and you're able to play online. So no RNG software, real cards being shuffled and dealt and scanned and and all that, just like in the casino, the, the dealing machines, it's the same thing. Um, so it's super exciting. So check that out. Um, any of these things you can ask questions about, you can contact me on the wrecking crew page. I'm right there. You can hit my forums up, ask me any question. I'm a treasure trove of useless information. Um, we'll talk about, you know, hands and things like that, but mostly I'm going to talk about rec poker and, um, what my other wreckers are doing. Um, I love uh, giving shout outs to these folks because they're doing wonderful, wonderful things. At the end of the day, we're going to become friends and there's nothing, there's nothing worse than that. So, um, (laughs) thanks for having me guys. I appreciate you. It's great to be a part of the crew and, uh, keep up the fight, keep up the good work.
Awesome, Josh. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, get a hold of Josh if you have any questions on any of that stuff and uh, check out his page and check out all the pages. Uh, a lot of really cool things that are happening out there. Uh, really nothing else to add, man. You guys, you guys covered it all. I think at the end of the day, it's still, you know, the new website. Uh, we're still working on it. We're still getting good feedback. We're still making adjustments. So keep that coming. I think it's, it's working well. People are excited about it. Uh, but, but keep any feedback coming. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell your neighbors, tell whoever. Uh, we got some pretty cool things that are happening out there. Uh, with that deal. So with that, uh, anything that we missed, guys? Anything that you're like, shoot, I forgot to mention this. Shaking heads, nothing. All right. Well, let, let's uh, let's end it there. But thanks to the sponsors once again, Running Aces Racetrack Casino and Hotel, Website Amp, Learn Pro Poker. Uh, thanks again to Gareth James for, for jumping on there. Uh, thanks to uh, Josh Schwartz for joining us. Thanks to the rest of the panel. Uh, appreciate you guys. And we will chat with you next week.